it's all good, baby, baby. Uh. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking new bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight because I rock. Hi folks, today's podcast is brought to you by FantasyAces.com, the premier destination for daily fantasy sports and home to incredible once-in-a-lifetime big-ticket live championship finals for pro and college football, baseball, and basketball. Join FantasyAces.com today and claim your 200% first-time deposit bonus with promo code 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4. And if you don't know, now you know. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 senior DFS editor Chris Raybond, joined as always by my guy, 4 for 4s TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Excited for another week of DFS. Hopefully we're bringing home some money like we did uh, last week. Yes, sir. Last week was definitely a good week for us. We have a great show for you guys today. We'll get into our week four picks and our DFS theory segment as always. But before we get it cracking, the song that played us in was Notorious B.I.G.'s Juicy from his 1994 classic debut album, Ready to Die. Yeah, man, that's that's probably one of my uh, favorite songs from my youth. Uh, I guess the the debate when we were youngins was always Tupac versus Biggie and being from California, I'm probably in the minority because <laughs> I think it's Biggie by a mile, but hopefully I don't lose all my uh, West Coast Twitter followers for that comment. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go uh, Biggie over Tupac as well. <laughs> the, the only real the debate in New York um, was was really Biggie versus Jay-Z, but it's kind of yeah. hard to de- it's hard to debate that because, you know, Biggie, he passed so soon that he only he only had, you know, two real albums of of work where you right. know, Jay-Z had like 10. But in any case, before we get to our week four picks, let's take a few minutes, recap week three. I'll get right into it. And uh, I want to talk about Devontae Freeman, who made a lot of people, including me, I know including yourself, TJ, yeah. a lot of money. Um, I know we talked about him on the show last week but of course there was no way to know he'd have a 35 touch three touchdown outburst however it's a good reminder to everybody out there that efficiency is generally very hard to predict so the best course of action as a dfs player is to just put yourself into position to benefit from these type of monster games by rostering players who are getting the right opportunities and you know as i mentioned last week Freeman was getting a ton of red zone looks. He actually leads all running backs now in red zone opportunities. And he was getting a a lot of targets in the passing game. And he was slated for a ton of volume at a discount with Tevin Coleman out. And he was a home favorite. I mean, he was sorry, he wasn't a home favorite. He was a favorite. Um, And you won't always get those kind of huge games. But by consistently rostering players getting those types of opportunities you're going to give yourself the best odds at exposing yourself to the type of big games that Freeman had so that's just something to keep in mind Um, last week I also had a lot of AJ Green, Randall Cobb 
And those were two players that I targeted due to low ownership and salary drops, which is actually what we'll be talking about in our DFS theory segment today. So, TJ, what about you? I know you mentioned you had a good week three. Talk about that and any takeaways, lessons learned you had from last week. Yeah, I mean, I I had a good uh, GPP week. Like you mentioned, Randall Cobb and uh, Devontae Freeman, I had pretty much uh sprinkled out in, in the majority of my lineup so that was nice i missed on aj but i was still able to to put together some nice big weeks uh you made really good points on on volume over efficiency outside of the quarterback position uh we really just want to look for that volume a, a lot of the work that i do is based on the articles that you've written for four for four where we just want to target uh touches for our running backs and and targets for our pass catchers. Uh, so if you find underpriced guys that are uh, that are at a discount that are getting those opportunities, those are pretty clear DFS plays. So uh, we were we were pretty on point with Freeman there. Uh, overall, I mean, my week three was was really like I said, it was good in GPPs. It was a testament to what we have going on at four for four because the basis of my GPP building uh, week. I mean, right after our discussion of, of the podcast last week, I. Uh, I built my lineups based on on your ceiling projections. Uh, I looked at uh, at your ownership percentage article, and that's really how I formulated my player pool. And then all I did was took that player pool and just stuck it into our, our lineup generator and gave me a you know a bunch of different lineups based on the stacks I liked, and I was able to mix and match from there. It, it let me get a, a second place finish in a. 1150 man tournament and I came in 12th in a 5700 person field um, and I actually had a, a short uh, sweat for a live queue on DQ um, unfortunately it didn't work out well After, without AJ Green I was I wasn't able to uh, to to catch the field but it was you know I was right up there in the the top top 10 for a little bit uh, so yeah uh, four for four is bringing the heat and you know it's it's showing in our our finishes which is nice yeah, TJ. First of all, congratulations on some really good finishes in GPPs this week. And, you know, I think that's a really important point that you made about using the ownership percentage article, which is available to 444 DFS subscribers. Ownership is really crucial to taking down a large tournament every week by entering Thursday GPPs. You can see player ownerships on FanDuel. I enter all the players that I think will be relevant in a given week into GPPs so I can see their ownerships. And what happens every week is that the highest owned players aren't the players in the winning GPP lineups. Maybe there will be one if a guy goes nuts like a Julio Jones. But in general, the highest owned players are holding you down more than putting you ahead of the pack in GPPs you really, really need to roster some lower-owned players. And it doesn't necessarily have to be off-the-wall, ridiculously contrarian players, but it just has to be players who, instead of being the... If they're, if you have the top three wide receivers owned, try to own players maybe in that 4 through 10 range where you know they're still going to be in some lineups, but they are not going to be in the majority of lineups every week the GPP winners on FanDuel and DraftKings have three or four plays that are usually 5% owned or less. So really crucial to check out 
and be aware of what ownership percentages are going to be and really build your tournament lineups around that. That is actually exactly how I played AJ Green a bunch. It wasn't necessarily because I thought he had an amazing matchup, which I mean, yeah, he was in a good spot, but it wasn't great. Um, But just because I knew he would be really low owned, I didn't think his matchup was that different from maybe a guy like Julian Edelman, who was owned Mm -hmm. pretty much 10 times as much. So, you know, that's just kind of the thought process behind building tournament lineups. But let's move on into these week four picks. We'll start at quarterback. And quarterback this week starts with Aaron Rodgers at San Francisco. He's done nothing but lead all fantasy QBs in scoring, yet his price is down $500 on FanDuel and $700 on DraftKings since the season begun. He's facing a 49ers defense that has allowed 10 yards per pass attempt, which is dead last in the NFL. The 49ers were able to hold Teddy Bridgewater to... 231 scoreless passing yards with a pick in week one but of course he's nowhere near the type of quarterback Rodgers is and in week two Big Ben went 21 of 27 for 369 yards and three touchdowns against the 49ers and then last week Carson Palmer went 20 of 32 for 311 yards and two scores against the 49ers and those last two guys are much closer to the quarterback Rodgers is, except Rodgers is, of course, better than both of those guys. So it looks like Rodgers will be in for another big week against the 49ers. And if you are not trying to pay a premium at your quarterback slot, a popular salary relief option in a good spot is Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback at Chicago. Carr is only 5.3K on DraftKings, so he's a great cash game play at that price there. He's only 7K on FanDuel, which also gives you major flexibility. The Bears have allowed a 70% completion rate, 7.9 yards per attempt, 8 passing touchdowns already and only one interception on the season and Amari Cooper really playing well really helping Derek Carr take that next step Michael Crabtree also playing well on the other side Carr has taken major step fo- steps forward in all of his passing efficiency metrics. His completion percentage is up from 58% last year to 63% this year his yards per attempt is up to 8.1 it was 5.5 last year his touchdown percentage is 5.6 this year it was only 3.5 last year and he's cut his interception rate in half so far it's 1.1 last year it was 2.0 so again that's Aaron Rodgers in San Fran if you're paying up and Derek Carr in Chicago if you're choosing a value option now it's not for the faint of heart but a contrarian GPP play that I have my eye on is Colin Kaepernick Mm. He was really horrible last week. He threw two <laughs> of the exact same pick sixes. I thought my red zone was broken, or it, it just started randomly doing instant <laughs> replays because I saw the same play twice, but <laughs> it was actually two different pick sixes. But with that being said, Kaepernick's price is down $1,500 from when the season began on DraftKings. So three weeks in. And it's down $1,500, so there's value to be had there. It's down across the industry. And the reason I like Kaepernick this week is because he's had a ton of success against the Packers' defenses, specifically Dom Capers' defenses. In three meetings against Capers-led units, 
Cap is 60 of 100 for 9 yards per attempt, 6 touchdowns, only 2 picks, and a 101.3 passer rating. That is a lot higher than his career numbers against every other team. So if the game play, if the game script, excuse me, plays out the way Vegas and many daily fantasy owners think it will with Green Bay being able to throw all over San Fran, Cap may have to air it out. And let's not forget that two weeks ago, a similar game script played out where San Fran went down big to Pittsburgh and then Cap threw for 335 yards, two touchdowns and added 51 more yards on the ground. So that was only two weeks ago. Kaepernick makes a good GPP play because you might get the terrible outing that you had last week, but in his range of outcomes is also, you know, that 300 yard uh, game with a bunch of rushing yards as well. And we saw how much offense Kansas City was able to generate against the Packers in what essentially was garbage time on Monday night. And again, Cap has that huge upside because of his rushing ability, similarly to Cam Newton. So, you know, Colin Kaepernick, if you're trying to differentiate your lineup in GPPs, I think he makes a very interesting selection. But let's switch gears and move on to running back. TJ, start us off with your thoughts on what will surely be a very popular play this week, Carlos Williams of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, at running back this week, like you said, it's it's going to start off with a couple of of really good values. Um, I don't think LaShawn McCoy is officially ruled out yet, but it's looking like he's not going to play. Uh, so Carlos Williams is $6,300 on FanDuel. Uh, he's $3,400 on DraftKings. And uh, the Bills are, are going to have you know a really, really good matchup at home as uh, as big. I think they're five-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, so if McCoy is out, uh, Carlos Williams is is going to be the guy. I mean, he's already outgained uh, Shade and McCoy on the ground, even though he's only had about half the carries as McCoy. So he's been he's been uh, he's been crushing on the ground. He already has three touchdowns to Shady Zero. So he's a very very nice play that's going to open up a, a lot of salary cap relief for you. And then uh, Thomas Rawls, uh, the the running back for Seattle Seahawks, uh, Marshawn Lynch is questionable. The only problem with this is it's a Monday night game. Uh, so unless we get some early news on the on the Lynch situation, uh, you know, you can't. You might have to avoid this situation on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, Rawls is only a minimum salary. Uh, it, it might be tricky since uh, Rawls and Lynch's salaries are so far apart. Uh, what you can do on DraftKings is you can throw in Lynch uh, in your running back slot in GPPs, and then you can put a lower price receiver uh, in the same game in your flex position. If it ends up being a uh, a late uh, late scratch like Monday, then you can just swap in Rawls your running back, and then you can you can play a higher uh, price wide receiver in your flex position from that same game, or even like uh, Jimmy Graham. It's going to give you a really unique lineup because people are going to avoid that situation altogether just because of the questionable tag on Lynch. Um, so, you know, that's a really interesting uh, game theory uh, op- opportunity on DraftKings. Mm-hmm. Uh, implementing that late late swap, you know, you really just got to understand what the sites offer, and that's one of those situations where people are just going to avoid that game, but you're going you're gonna to have a, a unique opportunity there. Uh, after, after those cheap 
Uh, guys, you already touched on Derek Carr. Uh, the whole Raiders offense is really going to be in play this week. Uh, Chicago is just in shambles. Uh, their offense and defense are, are both really poor. They got a, a backup quarterback starting, which is just going to translate to points all over the place for the opposing team. Uh, so Latavius Murray this week at Chicago. $7,500 on FanDuel. He's $6,300 on DraftKings. I think that puts him as the ninth price running back on both sides. Uh, Murray's averaging 21 touches per game this season, which is the fourth most among all running backs. And as far as his workload, he's accounting for 47% of all of the Raiders' touches. That's the second highest uh, workload percentage in the league behind only Matt Forte and Oakland's favored by three uh, and you know, this offense has been clicking. It looks like, like you mentioned, Derek Carr and that Amari Cooper hookup. It looks like that's going to be, uh, that's going to be one of the better hookups all year. And they've been putting up points and, you know, Chicago's a team that's going to give it up. Uh, moving on. We talked about Devonte Freeman last week. Uh, this week, you know, he's probably in play again. He's, he's $7,200 on FanDuel. He's $5,200 on DraftKings. He's priced right around that, that running back 15 range, but it's clear that he is uh, he's a workhorse as long as Tevin Coleman's out. He had 35 touches last week, like you mentioned, Chris. And, I mean, I think he's pretty much a lock for another 20 touches. Uh, the matchup isn't great against Houston. Houston's been pretty good against running backs. Um, but Freeman's second in the league in touches per game. Uh, he leads the league in rushes inside the 10-yard line. And, uh, you know, he's just going to get a full workload, and he doesn't have to share any of those carries. So I think at his price point as seven-point favorites, it's, you know, you gotta you got to plug in that volume. you got to plug in those home favorites. And in the long term, that's going to be very profitable in DFS. Uh, and then finally, again, we don't do this a ton on this podcast, but, uh, you know, I want to talk about a guy that I'm fading at running back. Uh, Melvin Gordon, the Chargers are big home favorites, and, you know, usually – that heavy home favorite starting running back is, a, is an ideal running back target. Uh, the problem with Gordon is he just hasn't been getting the red zone looks. Um, that's been the Danny Woodhead role. Uh, Gordon has zero touches inside the 10-yard line, and that's where uh, those touchdown, that the touches to touchdown correlation really shoots up is inside the 10 and inside the 5, and Gordon's just not getting the work in there. So, yeah, th- they are favored by a lot at home, but San Diego wants to throw the ball when they're near the goal line. Um, they've been implementing Stevie Johnson, uh, even Keenan Allen, Darius Green. They're just throwing the ball when they get in close. I, I don't think they trust Gordon to be that pounder when they get in close. So, yes, he has a decent matchup. Yes, they're big favorites. But uh, even in cash games, you need touchdown upside, and Melvin Gordon just doesn't offer that to you. Uh, so, Chris, those, those are my thoughts. Um, let's move on to, to your wide receivers, unless you have any running back thoughts before we move on. Oh yeah, I just I think it's really interesting that they just aren't giving Gordon any red zone looks. I mean, yeah. I, when I looked at the the numbers, I was really surprised. It was nine red zone opportunities for Woodhead and zero for Gordon. And yeah, know, man, I don't, I don't, I almost don't know what to do because I feel like I should be fading Gordon too, but. At some point, they got to give him a carry in there, right? Like, yeah, but I mean, it's one of those things where you, you got to trust the numbers. I mean, it's and it's not even just like a coincidence. Like, if you're watching the game, the second they get in the red zone, they're subbing Gordon out. Like, it's not a coincidence. They're doing it on purpose. I mean, Woodhead was the guy in the red zone when he was healthy two years ago. So, I yeah. mean, they just they trust him in there. Like I said, they like to pass it, and Woodhead's that dump-off guy. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to play him until they show me that they're going to give him the, the chances, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. I haven't 
rostered Gordon at all in any of yeah. my lineups yet this season. I've been waiting for him to get those red zone touches. They just haven't been happening. And it yeah. it, it really sucks because this is really an ideal matchup. Cleveland's run yep. defense is very bad. But yeah. let's move on. Wide receiver. Let's start with Julio Jones, 9,400 on FanDuel, 9,300 on DraftKings. He is worth it. He is being force-fed the rock, averaging 15 targets, 11 catches per game. It doesn't look like Houston's going to be able to prevent him from getting a lot of targets. They actually allowed 17 throws in Mike Evans' direction last week. Julio, with a combination of high-percentage screen passes as well as a steady diet of downfield throws, is now kind of getting the same target profile as Antonio Brown. And going forward, I think Julio is going to be able to replicate Brown's consistency and his upside. And he might even surpass Brown for the time being, given that Big Ben is out. So Julio Jones, staple cash game lineup. Have to see how his ownership percentage is going to look in tournaments this week to decide just how much exposure I'll have to him there. But definitely a great play across the board. And then we go to Randall Cobb. He's 8,200 on FanDuel and 7,400 on DraftKings. We know his price would surely be even higher than that had the Packers not played on Monday night because Cobb scored three times last Monday and he would have had a fourth except it was called back. Like I mentioned earlier, the Niners are allowing 10 yards per passing attempt. Well, Cobb has been the recipient of 32% of Aaron Rodgers' targets and 35% of his red zone targets. And the 49ers have really been struggling against number one ride receivers. They allowed a 11-catch, 195-yard day to Antonio Brown with a touchdown. Mm. And then last week, nine catches, 134 yards, and two touchdowns for Larry Fitzgerald. And one thing to note about both of those guys is just like Cobb, they both move around they both play out of the slot a lot and San Francisco had trouble particularly last week defending the slot they gave up six catches 88 yards and a touchdown to the Cardinals slot receivers last week on only seven targets so Randall Cobb looks like he's in for another blow up week now Going down a little bit more in salary, Amari Cooper, 7,200 on FanDuel, 6,300 on DraftKings. We already talked about the Raiders offense. We talked about Carr. Amari Cooper, he toasted Joe Hayden and Jimmy Smith in back-to-back weeks. Those are two high-level cornerbacks in this league. He's averaging 6.7 catches and 97 yards per game already this season. And the Bears... Their two outside cornerbacks are Kyle Fuller and Allen Ball. Both are rated in the bottom third of PFF's coverage grades for corners. They have combined to allow 15.6 yards per catch and four touchdowns on only 27 targets already this season. So Amari Cooper, really good pick whether you stack him with Carr in a tournament or you are just playing him in a cash game. He's a solid play across the board. So again, that's Julio, Cobb, and Amari Cooper. 
Before we move on, a reminder that FantasyAces.com is one of our favorite daily fantasy sports sites. It's easy to draft your team, and when you win, the cash hits your account right away. Plus, they have big money contests in all your favorite sports. This week, you can play a free $500 NFL contest at Fantasy Aces with real cash prizes. No deposit, no credit card, just sign up and draft your team. And if you want to play for even bigger money, try the $10,000 Heisman on Saturday or the $50,000 Hail Mary on Sunday. Plus, the $500,000 Fantasy Aces Football Championship is one of the biggest tournaments in all of DFS. There's an incredible live final in Las Vegas with a VIP experience and $100,000 grand prize. But you have to earn your way there in one of their weekly qualifiers. So, start having a blast playing DFS at FantasyAces.com and remember to use promo code 4 for 4 to get a 200% first-time deposit bonus. That's promo code 4 Four, four, the number four, the letters F-O-R, and the number four for a 200% bonus that you earn as you play. Now let's switch gears. Let's go to tight end. TJ, no Gronk this week on the slate. How are you going about the position this week? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to say, like, who would have thought that a, a fantasy football podcast would have an Oakland Raiders theme anytime soon? Like, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. You know, it's times are changing. Uh, but, yeah, you said no Gronk. If you're uh, – if you're paying up for a pass catcher this week, you already said it. It's Julio Jones. Antonio's on the Thursday slate with no Big Ben. Gronk's on a buy. Like, pay up for Julio if you're paying up for a pass catcher. But, uh, yeah, without usually you have to make a big decision at tight end. Usually it's do I play Gronk or do I not? We don't have to make that decision this week. And I, I think it's a pretty uh, cut and dry tight end, uh, tight end choice this week. It's not a good spot to pay up for tight ends. Um, I think uh, – we're not too sure about Jimmy Graham's exact role in that offense yet. It's it's fluctuated over the first three weeks, and uh, you know he he's just not getting the volume to justify that you know that price tag. Uh, I think Olsen's in for a letdown week. He, a lot of people are going to be on him coming off of last week. Um, he he is one of the most heavy targeted tight ends in the league, but uh, four for four just rolled out their um, adjusted fantasy points allowed metric, which is seriously one of my favorite metrics in the industry it it takes fantasy points allowed and then it just adjusts it to uh to strength the schedule and if you look at that metric Tampa Bay has been the fourth best team in the league against uh tight ends this year I mean it's a small sample size but it's still worth noting uh so I'm not paying up for Olsen this week uh so really there's only two guys in my eyes um and they're both really similarly priced uh Jordan Reed is 5600 on FanDuel he's 4500 on DraftKings um, he's probably the safe play this week. Uh, he's averaging over eight targets per game, which is the third most among tight ends. And at, at that price point, I mean, I think he's like priced fifth or sixth on the sites, but uh, relative to your salary, um, you're, you're just not going to find that kind of target volume at tight end for that price. Uh, so, you know, even if Deshaun comes back, I, Deshaun's not going to eat into Jordan Reed's workload. That'll just most likely take away from Garcon's workload. Uh, Cousins is just going to feed Jordan Reed. It's 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 pretty clear that when Kirk Cousins is in, that Jordan Reed is going to have a huge target volume. Um, and then at the same price, I mean, even though he's probably not, not as safe as Jordan Reed, uh, I think Martellus Bennett is the play across the board. Uh, he's $5,500 on FanDuel. He's $4,500 on DraftKings. And, uh, I mean, the, the Raiders' secondary is just bad in general, but they're just 
an abomination against tight ends right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, they're, they're like the new. If if you've been playing fantasy football over the last couple of years, they're the new. Uh, they're the new Cardinals. Like they just can't cover tight ends. They've allowed over 300 yards receiving in three games to tight ends. They've already given up uh, five touchdowns to tight ends on the year. I think. Uh, Two uh, two touchdown games to tight ends, and last week against uh, against Gary Barnage, who I think you can argue is the worst starting tight end in the league. Uh, Barnage <laughs> posted a six for one hundred five and a touchdown against the Raiders. Like they, I don't, I mean, I guess they're. Khalil Mack is a good, uh, you know, he's good at rushing quarterbacks, but I don't think they have a linebacker that can cover tight ends. Uh, I don't know how Charles Woodson is still a starting. Uh, safety in the NFL, like he's he's slow. If you've watched the games, like he's just his reactions are are slow. He just quick. He's not quick to get uh to to get to his reads. And tight ends have just been tearing up the Raiders. So I I, I think you mm-hmm. like you have to have Martellus this week. Um, I'm I'm plugging him in pretty much everywhere. Uh, so so that's where I'm going at the tight end. And Chris, what do you, you have any thoughts on those position players at all? Yeah, a guy that I'm actually looking at in addition to those guys, is Charles Clay. Highly owned as, as Bennett or Reed, if you want to pivot or just save a little extra salary. Um, yeah. Charles Clay is really a guy I'm, I'm looking at. He's scored touchdowns in back-to-back weeks as well, so he's definitely been involved in that offense. But Yeah, um, that's a good call. I mean, he's they're, they're, the prices are bunched pretty close on FanDuel, but on DraftKings where he's 3300 uh, that's that's a pretty big discount. So if you are... You know, looking for a punt. That's a that's a good call. That Bills offense in general. I mean, if if I missed on one thing in the offense, it was the Bills. I, I obviously didn't account for the Tyrod Taylor effect, but I was pretty vocal in in saying that you need to avoid this offense and Greg Roman and Rex Ryan in general. But you know, Tyrod, he's he's helped out that team a lot. So yeah, that's a good call on Clay. Yeah, no, the Bills offense has been a, a surprise. Tyrod Taylor has handled himself really well. Um, I think. He, his presence and just the threat of him running, I think it's helping the running backs a little bit. As you mentioned, Carlos Williams has been outgaining Shady McCoy. Um, Percy Harvin has turned into yeah. a, a much you know more involved player than I thought he would. He's averaging about five catches a game. You know that's another low key probably GPP play. You know if you're looking to yeah. stack Taylor with somebody, you know Percy Harvin can always win deep, um, and he, he might just catch a few balls, especially if Sammy Watkins is out. Harvard would essentially become the number one receiver because he's been playing more yep. snaps than, than Robert Woods. So, yeah, very interesting offense. We'll see, we'll see how that goes and how that continues as the season progresses. I think the jury's still out, but, you know, so far, so good for the Buffalo Bills. Um, so moving on, let's talk about some defenses. And uh, as usual... It starts with the Seahawks, 5,300 on FanDuel, 3,700 on DraftKings. They are a little pricey, but they're in a really good spot. They're 9.5-point favorites. Detroit's team total is under 17, so Vegas is really expecting a strong showing from the Seahawks' defense. The Lions' offensive line has been struggling mightily. They can't run the ball. Stafford is banged up, and it just looks to be another tough spot for them. And then one thing I like about rostering the Seahawks is you get a little added upside from Tyler Lockett's returns. He already has two touchdown returns on kicks in his first three games, and there is nothing to say that he won't continue to 
take kicks back to the house. Um, Seattle's special teams in general was very good. Last week, they had a play where it was a punt, and Tyler Lockett pretended that he was going to steal <laughs> yeah. the punt and fooled the entire defense where in they reality— stole that play- from a uh, from a college game the day before, right, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I believe I, that's funny because I actually believe the Rams ran that play on them last year um, with Tavon oh, okay. Austin, but yeah, yeah so it, I've, it, it's it's been popping up here and there, but yeah, anyway, Richard Sherman catches the ball. Everyone thinks Tyra Lockett is under the punt, and it's actually on the other side of the field, and Richard Sherman catches it, and he rumbles about fifty yards. If if he had, he had one man to beat and he got tackled, but you know Seattle special teams looks to be locked in so you know they give you a little added upside um but if you want to save a little money the broncos defense they're in a really good spot 4700 on fanduel 3300 on DraftKings. they are one of the best defenses in the league um frankly they have good pass rushers with demarcus ware and von miller they have a pair of very good cornerbacks with chris harris jr and akib talib they are 6.5 point favorites they are at home. Minnesota's team total is 18 points. So another team that will likely struggle to move the ball on Denver. And uh, if you're really looking to save some salary, let's not forget about targeting the Jaguars. The Colts are 4,400 on FanDuel, 2,800 on DraftKings. And again, it's just a case of targeting a mistake point quarterback Blake Bortles he's had one of the worst sack rates interception rates and completion rates since he entered the league the Colts are huge favorites nine point Vegas favorites as of right now and that correlates very strongly to uh, success for a fantasy defense the Jaguars team total is under 20 so again that's the Seahawks the Broncos and the Colts at defense in week four TJ Let's quickly run through the best position in fantasy kicker. Oh, I love I love kickers. I love that <laughs> zero I got last week on Fandle from my kicker. Yeah, thanks, Franks. That was fun. You you didn't cost me hundreds of dollars. Uh, I'm not bitter. Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know we've talked about it before. We just want uh, you know heavy favorites, high scoring teams. Uh, defense is in a good spot. Uh, Matt Bryant of the Falcons. He's forty eight hundred dollars. Um, he's going to be playing indoors at home. The Falcons have a 27-point uh, implied total from Vegas. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites. And then if you – I mean, you're, you know, it's always nice to have a, a men's salary kicker if, if, you, uh, if you need it just based on your roster construction. Uh, Josh Lambeau of the Chargers. Um, the Chargers have a, a 26.25 uh, implied point total. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites again. Again, that defense looks to be in a pretty decent spot. Uh, kicker correlates pretty strong with defense. Also uh, correlates pretty strong with running backs. Um, just one of those situations, if you think about it. You know, if, if the defense is stopping the offense and the, the running back's going to be able to, to, you know, get a lot of carries, that means they're going to have a lot of red zone opportunities, a lot of good field position starts. That's going to mean, uh, you know, if they can't punch it in, those are field goal opportunities. Uh, so Matt Bryant at 4,800, Josh Lambeau at 4,500 are the guys I'll probably be rostering at my kicker position, uh, which is always fun to roster. Anyway, it's always it's always nice to end on kicker. It puts me in a great mood. So let's now that we wrapped up the uh, wait 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 hold on we got to go back to this hold on hold on I just realized what you said you you played the Dolphins kicker 
Against the Bills defense? Yeah, man. It was a mistake. <laughs> was that even who we talked about on air last week? I feel nope, like... <laughs> it wasn't. See, this is what happens when you don't listen to what we say yeah. in DFS MVP. Take it from TJ. Man, I, like you said it before when we were off air, and I, it, it didn't hit me, and then I just realized... Yeah, it was oh, bad. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Let's move on. Yeah, DFS let's theory. Talk about, let's talk about theory. Yes. You guys are listening to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast. And this is something that it really helped me to make a big profit last week. So I wanted to talk about it on the show. Salary movement, particularly salary decreases. Of course, the Daily Fantasy sites are changing player salaries on a weekly basis based on the player's recent performance. Every site has their salary algorithms, and from what I know, they also have people that can then go in and manually override or adjust those salaries. Now, of course, there can be a lot of fluctuations in player performance that might not necessarily be indicative of a player's true outlook going forward. So in other words, there's a lot of noise rather than signal in the data that daily fantasy sites are using to adjust their player salaries. So in a nutshell, many times you can be very profitable by targeting players whose salary has decreased. So we'll talk more about this, but I just want to give a quick list of some players who I targeted last week more heavily than I usually would have simply because I felt they were being offered at a very low price point, uh, lower than it should be. So AJ Green last week, his $8,000 FanDuel salary was the lowest it's been since 2011. So that's big, you know, three, four years and his salary hasn't been lower. So that, that should kind of get, you know, the wheels turning. And his DraftKings price of 7200 was the lowest it's been since the middle of last year when he was hurt. So before you even start to analyze Green's matchup, you know, you could just look at his price and say, hey, you know, there's a buy low opportunity here. And then that's not without even talking about his road splits and, and the like. And then Randall Cobb, his price had dropped $600 on DraftKings since the season began. And we all know what he did on Monday night with the three touchdowns. Jeremy Macklin's price dropped $1,100 since the season began on FanDuel. He started out at $7,600. He was $6,500 last week, and he put up eight catches for over 100 yards and got into the end zone. And then, and I tweeted about this, but Jimmy Graham's price on FanDuel was $6,300 last week. That was the lowest it's been since 2010. So that's that's just major opportunities, you know. Here in this industry, we're always trying to predict, you know, player performance for a given week. But at the end of the day, it's really difficult to predict player performance accurately. So sometimes, just looking at these salary decreases and trying to find, you know, value in those, a lot of times will will get you on the right path. And you know, all these guys, Green, Cobb, Macklin, Graham. These were all guys that I wrote up in my GPP breakdowns. They were guys that I saw were low-owned, as you mentioned in that ownership article. So, you know, if you're a 4 for 4 DFS subscriber, you had access to those, and hopefully you were able to roster those guys in your GPPs as well. So salary drops. The main point here is that salary drops 
absent of injury or a change in role are usually going to provide value unless for, you know, that player was grossly overpriced to begin with. But, you know, these salary drops, especially at wide receiver, especially at tight end where there's a ton of variance to begin with, a lot of the salary fluctuations aren't really going to be warranted. They're just going to be salary fluctuations based on noise, based on randomness, based on the variance inherent to these positions. So, you know, that's just... That's just a little bit to to get us started talking about these salary decreases. TJ, you know, what are your thoughts? How do you go about, you know, when, when, you, when you're looking at salaries in a given week, how do you go about the salary drops and, and, and your exposure to players with these salary drops? What are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into specific players uh, too much, but I think it is interesting that you brought up Colin Kaepernick as a GPP play and his salary. Uh, it's the biggest quarterback drop on DraftKings this year. He's down $1,500 from week one, which is just massive. Um, you know, so that's that's super interesting. Uh, but yeah, s- salary drops, just pricing in general is it's such. I mean, it's it's the basis of what we do in daily fantasy sports. Uh, I have so many people, especially this year, coming up to me, asking me about FanDuel, asking me about DraftKings, asking me about this new DFS thing. And you know, they're, they're coming from a, a, a redraft uh, mindset. And their question is, what player do I play? What player? And I'm, I constantly am telling people when they're trying to understand what this DFS thing is and how I could spend so much time doing it and how people are doing it for a living already. Um, DFS isn't as much about projecting the best player, picking the best players. That's going to be almost impossible to do on a consistent, profitable uh, basis. We're, what we're looking to do is we're looking to an exploit an inefficient market. Uh, because salaries are put out at the beginning of the week and they don't change for the rest of the week, there's inefficiencies. It's it's just the nature of this industry, the nature of what this game is. Um, so like you said, price drop is usually indicative of a, a lack of recent production. Like that's what people are reacting to. That's what these sites are mostly reacting to. So uh, when I see the price drop, it's, it's usually a uh, production drop. So what I want to do is I want to decipher uh, why the production has decreased. So if production is down because of a player – seeing less snaps, seeing less carries, seeing less targets, well, then that price drop player, that isn't a void for me because they aren't getting those opportunities. But where the value really comes is when we see these price drops because players' fantasy points aren't going down, but their opportunities aren't going down. They just haven't Mm -hmm. converted those opportunities into fantasy points yet. Uh, So the public's not on them. The sites are dropping their salaries. Um... And you know this this is especially true if they're still getting goal line looks, but they're just not converting them to to touchdowns or red zone looks for pass catchers. Um, so I'll look at I'll look at running back touches inside the ten yard line where touchdowns really skyrocket. I'll look at wide receiver and tight end targets in the red zone, and if those opportunities are there, well, I'm really targeting those those uh, price drop guys uh, because. Chris, you've written about this a ton. The, the correlation in fantasy scoring comes from touches and targets. Like we can't predict touchdowns. It's where those targets are coming, where those opportunities are coming. Um, and, and then another thing I look at with price drops is I'm comparing price drops across sites. Uh, sometimes we'll see a player decrease on one site but not another site. 
Um, so if there's if there's that inefficiency there, uh, now the onus is on us to to decipher which site the inefficiency is on. Is is the player overpriced on the site where his salary uh, stayed constant, or is he underpriced on the site where his salary dropped? Um, Either way, it's there's an inefficiency there. So that is a profitable spot for us. Mm-hmm. If a player is is like grossly underpriced on one site compared to another site, that's an inefficiency. There's a profit. You just got to figure out what side you want to be on. Um, and then finally, what I use uh, price drops for is is player exposure. Um, if you're a, a high volume DFS player that's building multiple sites, uh, building multiple lineups across multiple sites, then you're probably uh, tracking your player shares. So if there's a player that, that you want exposure to because of a particular matchup or for if your research is just pointing you towards a player, um, then I'm going to take where, where his price is dropping. Uh, you know, I'm going to have my exposure to him on that site and then my overall portfolio, that that's where my percentage will be. Uh, so um, that, that's kind of how I approach uh, price drops. Uh, we'll get into some... Uh, what we do when prices rise, but Chris, I think you have a couple more points on, on price drops. Yeah, I thought you had a ton of great points, and one I really wanted to spend a little time on was looking at price drops between sites, and when yeah. a player's price has dropped on one site but it hasn't dropped on another, you can exploit that by getting most or all of your exposure to a player you like on the site where he is the cheapest. This happened last week with Jimmy Graham where on FanDuel his price was 6300 It hadn't been lower than that since 2010. Meanwhile on DraftKings his price was 5800 and his price was actually the exact same as it was the week before. So I actually tweeted about this but I got all my exposure to Graham on FanDuel where the risk was smaller than on DraftKings because he was a lower percentage of the total cap and he was simply cheaper on FanDuel. So, you know, if he had a bad game, it hurts me less on FanDuel. And if he has a good game, it helps me more on FanDuel. So I chose to get all my exposure to Graham on FanDuel. And I think that's something that people who are playing two sites really can use as actionable information is that when you have your player pool and you like certain players, target the players on the site where they are the cheapest. And that will help you instead of having to diversify a bunch of lineups on one site to limit variance, you can simply play players on the cheaper site. But another benefit of targeting guys whose salaries drop is that they're usually low-owned in GPPs because tournament ownership, and I know Jonathan Bales talked about this a ton, but tournament ownership is very correlated to recent performance. So people always want a piece of the guys who went off the week before. That's why last week pretty much at least one New England Patriot was in about third of every GPP lineup last week. And, you know, besides Tom Brady and, and LeGarrette Blunt, that didn't really turn out so well. No, no Patriot was really a, a true difference maker in the GPP side of Blunt and Brady. At the same time, the public is going to avoid 
largely players whose prices have dropped. So, you know, that's a reason I was able to get a guy like A.J. Green last week on pretty much 5% ownership. And, you know, Randall Cobb was, you know, 5 6% ownership. And guys like that, you know, when, when there's no real reason that their price dropped, that when they're still in the same role, doing what they've always done, but, you know, they just maybe had a bad game or two, their price will drop. But that's the time when you want to take advantage of it. That's really what I was looking for in terms of price drop tj do you have anything to add to that yeah i mean i I just have thoughts on how we approach price risers and i mean i guess it's a little bit of a tangent but you know we we get caught in this like twitter bubble sometimes and we don't realize that us that are like in the know in the dfs community we we realize the advantages of uh targeting these these players whose prices are going down when they're doing bad and players who who uh salaries going up when they're doing good, but you kind of have to remove yourself from that bubble and realize that the public is doing the opposite. That's why this is a profitable thing. So, you know, when you see 50 other fantasy guys that are, you know, targeting those price droppers, uh, it seems like everybody's going to be on them, but they're, but they're really not. But that's just kind of an aside to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as far as salary risers go, um, like we talked about, that's usually indicative of players who have recently been doing well. Uh, the the ownership percentages, like you said, are going to be correlated with players that are doing well. So usually those price risers are going to be players that we uh, I'm generally avoiding because they probably had a recent performance that's unsustainable, which uh, naturally leads to a bad value because of inflated price. Um, the exception to that is when an elite player has a salary bump, but it coincides with a game where they have a really bad matchup. Uh, so maybe you you're think of like a, an elite receiver uh, who just is coming off a huge game, his salary went up, but now he's going to be going against uh, Darrell Rivas all game. Um, now, most people that are playing DFS, even new players, are going to recognize that playing against Rivas isn't a good matchup. So that's going to you know knock that player's ownership percentage down. Um, maybe he's the highest... Uh, highest priced guy on the slate and he's going against Revis. I mean, that's a situation where I'm going to throw some lineups out there with him just because an elite guy like Julio, is, he's liable to go off any week. So um, I want to be able to roster him in a situation where uh, his, his ownership percentage is going to be low. And then also I think uh, price risers, I don't have the numbers for this. Maybe this is something we might want to look into, but I think there is a tipping point where a player's salary gets so high that even the newest players become price sensitive. I think uh, one of the classic examples of that is is Gronk, just because he's always so grossly overpriced uh, compared to the other tight ends that there's always a little bit of a discussion if he's worth rostering. And when his price just gets so high that... You know, almost no matter the matchup, people are are avoiding him because he's uh, he hampers the rest of your lineup so much. That's another spot where I'm gonna I'm gonna target him because I think his ownership's gonna dip just because of that absurdly high price. Um, so that's that's a GPP angle on price rises. Uh, but those are just my thoughts on on how I approach when prices go up compared to when they go down. Yeah, those are some great points, and I I think it was interesting that you talked about you know when a Elite wide receiver is going against an elite corner like, say, a Darrell Revis. I think it is very prudent to throw some tournament lineups out there with that guy because what happens a lot of times with these elite corners is because they're elite, 
their coaching staff will leave them in one-on-one matchups. So, mm-hmm. and I've seen this happen to the Cardinals a lot with Patrick Peterson, where I believe Julio Jones went for like ten catches and yeah. just a monster game. I, I believe it was last year against the Cardinals because you know they left Patrick Peterson on him in one-on-one coverage. And when you have a yeah. truly elite receiver, he's going to win some of those matchups. And you know if he wins one or two of them deep down the field, you're in business, and yeah. he could still have a monster game. So you know that's something to keep in mind. And I, something else to keep in mind with these price risers is I'm a lot more tolerant of price risers when they are below the average salary on a site. So, for example, if you remove kicker and defense and you say you have an average kicker or an average defense on FanDuel, you're, you're looking at about a, a $7,200 per player average for, your, for the rest mm-hmm. of your lineup slots. And on DraftKings, if you remove the defense, it's about a $5,800 yeah. average. So if a guy is, you know, if he's priced in the 4000s on DraftKings and he's slowly creeping up into the 5000s, I'm not going to be as sensitive to that because if he's – He's still not even the the average price of a player. So if he's in a good yeah. spot, if he's in an above average spot, or he's playing, if he's returning above average production, and he still costs below average, even though his price has been rising, then I'm still going to jump all over that. You know, I, I think an example of that was a couple years ago. Uh, Keenan Allen was in 2013 was minimum priced on FanDuel for a couple of weeks, and then slowly his price started rising. But he was still a great play because he was the number one receiver on the Chargers. Odell Beckham was like that last year, where his price kept rising, but he was still a good play because his price just started out way too low. So yeah. there will be certain situations where targeting these price risers is okay, and it's it's a lot better when you're not devoting a ton of salary to these price risers if you are. Like Devontae Freeman this week. You yeah, know? that's perfect. Right. You know, he, he was 4500 last week on DraftKings, so now he's up to fifty two, but he's still a good play because he's still with a below-average salary, and he's in an above-average spot to produce, you know, given all the touches, given all the red zone work, given all the targets. So, you know, that's just something for you guys to keep in mind. And, you know, we kind of implied this throughout, but a big key in DFS tournaments is to zig when others zag, or as 4 for 4's Denny Carter would say, be greedy when others are fearful. You know, not every price drop is going to be warranted. Not every price rise is going to be warranted. Not every chalk play is going to be one of the top scorers of the week. You have to put yourself in a position to take advantage when the field is wrong. As DFS players, we're all going to be wrong sometimes at some point. But you just don't want to be wrong with everybody else. You want to put yourself in a position that when everyone else is wrong, you can be right simply because you went away from the groupthink, as you kind of mentioned, TJ, we're all in this bubble, so it's easy to kind of get consumed by this groupthink, but you really have to take a couple of situations where you can zag when others are zigging and really check out these ownership percentages and or at least project what you think the ownership percentages in tournaments will be as you are creating your rosters. And in cash games, it's almost the opposite. In cash games, mm-hmm. you can feel a lot more comfortable just rostering the chalk because... Yeah. Again, the chalk plays are still the chalk plays for a reason. They usually will out the higher owned plays usually will outperform the lower owned plays over a large sample size. But it's just that the highest owned plays won't necessarily be the best tournament plays. They won't necessarily be the highest scoring players of the week. A good example of that is the Patriots last week. You know, Deion Lewis, solid game. 
but nothing to put you over the edge. Rob Gronkowski, 100 yards receiving, but he didn't get into the end zone, and at his cost, you needed him to get into the end zone. Julian Edelman got about eight catches, but again, didn't didn't reach the end zone, and that's what you needed him to do at his price. So the, the highest-owned plays will many times be consistent, but they won't necessarily put you over the top in tournament. So that's just something I want everybody to keep in mind as they create their tournament lineups. So this was really a great conversation, a lot of good points, and you know that about wraps it up for us this week here at DFS MVP. TJ, thank you for joining me, my man, and sharing all this DFS wisdom with us. Oh, it's always a blast. I mean, I think I think our theory discussion might be my favorite part of every week now. I like uh, dishing about those things that I struggle with every week, so it's it's always fun, man. Absolutely, man. It definitely helps me when I am then going to construct my lineups because I usually start constructing my lineups uh, right after I do this podcast, after I produce it, because that's when my my weekly workload lightens up a bit. (laughs) Um, So I finally get some lineup construction time in. So, yeah, definitely very helpful. So thank you to everybody out there for listening to DFS MVP presented by 4 for 4 Football. You can find TJ on Twitter at tj hernandez and you can find me on twitter at chris raybon be sure to go to four for four.com and check out our all new dfs subscription it'll really help you become a better dfs player that wraps it up for dfs mvp let's get this money when Nintendo Sega Genesis When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this 50 inch screen, money green, leather sofa Got two rides, a limousine with the chauffeur Phone till about 2G flat No need to worry, my accountant handles that And my whole crew is lounging Celebrating every day, no more public housing Thinking back on my one-room shack Now my mom pimps a act with me on the back And she loves to show me off, of course Smiles every time my face is up in the sauce we used to fuss when the landlord dissed us No heat, wonder why Christmas missed us Birthdays was the worst days Now we sip champagne when we thirsty uh, Damn right I like the life I live Cause I went from negative to positive And it's all And if you don't know, now you know uh, 